Hey folks, it's Mike from Profiling Evil. I've been studying criminal behavior for more than 40 years, and one of my favorite research tools is Truthfinder. It's online, and you're not going to believe the information stored there. So if you want to know more about that new neighbor, your babysitter, or your online date, give Truthfinder a try. I'm including a special link below with special discount pricing, but you got to click the link and enter Evil 10 at checkout. Now, we're an affiliate, which means we get a small commission, but you can cancel at any time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Profiling Evil Podcasts, Cults Among Us. Today, I'm talking with Samuel Zitting Weissen, a former member of the Fundamentalist Church in Colorado City, Hilldale. He was raised in a polygamous family under the control of convicted child predator and pedophile Warren Jeffs. Let's talk Cults Among Us. Sam is joined today by his wife, Melissa, and we're going to be talking about his time in the FLDS religion. You see, Sam was raised in the religion, which was a polygamous group run by Warren Jeffs. He left the community when he was 18 years old. His goals were simple and quite profound. He just wanted the freedom to choose for himself. So Sam, start us off by telling everybody a little bit about Hildale, Utah. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for having us on. Sure. Yeah. So, so Hilldale, Utah, in Colorado City, Arizona. It's it's basically one town right on the border, like Mike said, on uh, Arizona and Utah border. I was born and raised on the Utah side, so in Hilldale, and it's uh, it's a very small, uh, cute little town there in southern Utah. Uh, it is very mostly known for the polygamous group that lived there under Warren Jeffs and other leaders before him. But it's a, it's a very, I guess, uh, there's not a whole lot to say about it, not a whole lot there, to be honest. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, there's just a few things growing up that we had out there, like dairy farms and some uh, grocery stores. But for the most part, for any big purchases, we had to go to a bigger town nearby. So it's a very, very small town kind of hidden away, tucked away uh, there in southern Utah, uh, very private. Most people don't or haven't been there. Now, I'm prefacing this question with a remark, Sam. I found that throughout my career, children are often victimized by their environment, but somehow, in kind of a wacky sort of way, they find a way to be happy and develop good memories. I mean, it's not until they obtain these new sets of glasses, so to speak, that they realize their situation was rather unique. Now, were you born and raised in Colorado City, Hildale? You know, yes. And this kind of ties back in with a little bit about Hildale itself. Uh, something I was going to mention is that, I mean, our backyard was the mountains. You know, we had, a, a, as young boys growing up, they didn't really they didn't really allow or at least in my family allow the boys and the young girls to play together even even siblings we were kind of separate the boys would play and the girls would do their thing and uh, so we were always kind of separated but the back the, the mountains were our backyard i mean we were always up there uh hiking and playing and just it was a beautiful uh place to live and grow up and definitely i had a lot of really good memories growing up there as a child uh, luckily for me, I had a loving family. I did, I did, I do hear and talk with people to this day 
that had much worse experiences than I did because of the way the way their parents treated them or uh, there's a lot of different circumstances, different uh, experiences that people had. But for me in general, I, I had a loving family, a lot of brothers and sisters and uh, <laughs> always something to do. So, I mean, there were some tough moments, but I would say that overall, looking back, especially when I was in it and growing up in it, I thought I had everything I could possibly dream of. Okay, I got to ask the question. Here it is. It's on everybody's mind. How many mothers and how many brothers and sisters were in your house? It's a great question. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so there were, for most of my childhood, there were four moms in the house. And that, including myself, there, there are, biologically, I have 34 brothers and sisters, including myself, that makes 35. Yeah. Well, we that's a very that, that's a very simple answer. We don't celebrate Christmas out there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe for the reason they didn't want to buy so many gifts. <laughs> they say it was a religious reason, but was it or was it because they were like, oh, my goodness, the family's this big. There's no way we yeah. can afford like the normal holidays. That's funny. I have often wondered if that was celebrated out there and if it in reality was a fiscal decision or, or a spiritual decision. That's a, that's a question you ask yourself about a lot of religious decisions, uh, and, and, you know, and uh, that's one good one. I don't know for sure. We were always told that we didn't celebrate it because it had nothing to do with Christ. It was a made-up holiday. So that's that's what we were told. So what was it like growing up in a polygamous family? I mean, kind of break this down and walk us through a normal day in the Zitting household, starting with what time you woke up, how you fed 34 people at one time around a breakfast table and what your day encompassed. Uh, I would say a lot of, it was very organized and I, at least in my family, I can't speak for every other family out there. I had my experience and it might may have been very different from others, but my experience was very, very organized. My father was someone that he wanted things done a certain way and he was in charge. He made all the big decisions and it, it, every, our day was laid out very, very strictly and very, very well. It was uh, five, I believe, five thirty in the morning is when I guess you could say the morning rooster would crow and and kind of start waking everybody up. We would at six o'clock or six or six thirty, depending on the day. We would have what we called a family meeting or family scripture reading. We would all get together, read scriptures, sing songs, say prayers, morning prayers. Uh, from that point, we would all migrate into the kitchen and we just had a very, very large table that would fit all of us around the table at one time, actually. And we would have breakfast. So and then from there, the, the older children would go to work. The younger children would go to school or start their chores around the house. But every part of our day was outlined for us. It was very, very well structured. And I believe I mean, that that's probably the only way to do it with so many people in the house. Sam, was it odd for you to see your father move from mother to mother at the end of a day? And how did you reconcile those kinds of things in your mind? Yes. So, well, kind of like you mentioned, for me, it was perfectly normal. You know, that's that's the way I was raised. That's that's all I knew. So to see my father, uh, for example, kiss one of the mothers goodbye and then kiss another mother goodbye all of the, you know, within a few minutes. It just was perfectly natural and normal. That's all I knew. So 
as far as the going from one mother to another mother and sleeping arrangements and all of that, that was kept very, very secretive. And I don't know exactly how all that worked out, to be honest. And it's not something I really cared much about as a young boy either. So I didn't really try to figure it out. Uh, but I do know that I would see him kissing the mothers, you know, even right in front of the other mother and that type of thing. But uh, for me at the time, it just seemed so normal that it didn't really come off as something strange. Yeah, I'd say for me, it was interesting because I did live in close proximity to the community. I did know um, other young men who had left the community before and I was raised LDS. And so I knew the history of the FLDS church as well. And so for me, when we started dating, um, it was long enough after he had left and um I don't know. We just talked about it early on and I could tell in his heart that he definitely did not want that. He left for a reason. He knew that it wasn't true and felt very strongly about that. And so I didn't really have any worries as far as our marriage, what that would look like um, or whether or not that was going to be something like, okay, you're not going to want like another wife in the future. I don't even think I asked that question because we just, I could, we just knew, like I knew after talking to him where he was, Oh, I knew that. Um, I, yeah, I think it made it. I think it made it easier for her as well because I was very transparent. It wasn't. I wasn't yeah. trying to hide anything. I wasn't trying to make a big deal of anything. I just said how it was, and this is what it is. This is what I grew up with, and because I was so transparent, it seemed like she w- could see that I. Now, Sam, your dad was a man of influence in town. And frankly, in the church, which sometimes I guess is the same thing. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about who your father was and what his role was in the city? Yeah. So we were, I would say as a family, we were very well known because of that, because of who my father uh, is and was. He was very well respected in the community, someone that I would say most everyone looked up to. And uh, so that was kind of Something that we, I remember uh, growing up out there and kind of always in the back of my head thinking, oh my God, I don't want to, I don't want to let my father down. I don't want to let, you know, because of his name, I don't want to do something I shouldn't do and uh, kind of put a bad name on our family. So that's something that I always thought about. But uh, it was, in some ways, I would say it was almost nicer for us to to have that just just because we were treated so well uh, and but it was he was very very busy like you said he was uh, always dealing in the legal side of everything and the same time he had uh, he was a patriarch of the church so very very high calling within the church and so he would he would actually get up and talk in some of these general meeting sessions and things like that so he was he was always very much involved which i guess is probably partly why i felt so strongly about my beliefs when i lived out there You know, Sam, I actually met with your dad on a number of occasions. Now, it was a little bit of an adversarial position. I was working for the attorney general's office, and we were trying to get across a a way to get into the community and start to understand what was going on. But frankly, uh, we weren't trusted. (laughs) Let's just put it simple. uh, The government was against us. Law enforcement was against us. Everything about them, they were trying to destroy our community and they were trying to, uh, I guess, put an end to what the the so-called good things we had going on out there. That being said, that was the general idea. That being said, I have heard from my father, even in recent years, 
that he really respected some of the uh, law enforcement members that he worked with, even those that were not uh, members of the FLDS community. So that's something that, that he, he did. I mean, he realized that there were a lot of good people out there beyond just those members of the FLDS church. But the overall feeling in the community was not that way. It was very much against the law enforcement. <laughs> you know, it's hard for people to understand uh, when I talk about this, but I want to go back 20 years in time when I first started coming into the community. Number one, I was an investigator, but when I came in, even without them knowing I was wearing official colors, something really odd would happen when you entered the Hildale, Colorado City community. Immediately, there would be pickup trucks with men in it that would start following you. And one would peel off and another would pull in behind you. And you could hear them uh, almost in your mind communicating as they told you through the city. It was rather intimidating at times. And uh, frankly, it became a, a game of cat and mouse. What, what were your thoughts as you looked at this from your side of the fence, not my side of the fence? So I, I know what you're talking about. The, 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 the man in big trucks following pe people around with very dark tint. So you couldn't see what was going on inside of their pickups or who, how many men were there armed or who knows what, you know? <laughs> so people were very afraid of people because they didn't know what was going on inside of these big trucks. All they knew is that if they came into town wearing short sleeves because short sleeves were a big no, no, <laughs> then they were going to be followed until they left the town. And uh, so I was never a part of that. Per se, uh, I did ride around with some men during that time where they kind of thought it was funny. And so they would pull behind people and try to scare them. But as far as the serious, serious people that were trying to, to kick people back out of the town, I was never a part of that. But I definitely saw it happen. And uh, that's something that, you know, I, even as a member of the church out there, I felt like I always has always had eyes on me. So I, it was one of those things that probably they wanted it that way so that the people would follow the rules and not do things they shouldn't do and all that. But, but it, it seemed like there was always a pair of eyes on you out there. And not even just law enforcement, but even as a young kid, like he had times where he remembered, like if outsiders would come in, they as little boys would throw rocks at them and like throw rocks at the cars and well, that and was things, or was that more not not that was a motor. That was, that, <laughs> Sorry, very very, very very close. But I do remember as a young boy because in our minds, wearing a t-shirt, wearing shorts, that type of thing just automatically puts you on the evil evil side of everything. You're just a bad person uh, because of the way we were taught to dress. And then on top of that, if you're riding a motorcycle, then you're just I mean, there's no hope for you at this point. So as, as young boys, uh, there was a, I, I just cringe that this is even, that I can even talk <laughs> about this now. a good example now. of it. Though. It is. But uh, there was a motorbike, uh, some, some, I'm not sure who he was, but he was wearing a t-shirt and he was on his motorbike coming down the road. And all of us boys just picked up rocks and we threw them at, at the motorbike coming down the road. And of course the motorbike, the, the, the guy on the bike slams on his brakes and comes after us. And we were running as fast as we could to, <laughs> To get away from this guy, but but it's just one of those things that that's how ingrained it was in our yeah. minds that that these people were not good people and they weren't welcome to the community. Like right? It was yeah. Now I would bet that you grew up in a brick and mortar home that was probably rather nice, especially given your father being in the government and in the church leadership. But many people did not. They grew up in almost clapboard houses. 
Why don't you walk us through some of that and your feelings about that? So uh, that's funny you mentioned that because there were there are some very beautiful, very nice houses out there. But to your point, there's also a lot of houses that look like they started building them and then they gave up halfway through and just uh, said, well, let's just move in. <laughs> so, you know, there's definitely a lot, a lot of houses that don't look finished. But interestingly enough, for me at my very young uh, years, up until about nine years old, we lived in a double wide trailer home. So we did not have a very nice home. And there were a lot of us kids living in this little double wide trailer home, actually. So we had a nice big yard where we had a beautiful garden, but our home to live in was very, very small. And then as I got a little bit older, uh, we actually moved into across the street into a big, beautiful home that was already finished and built. That family was told to move out of that home and it was given to us for whatever reason. The church, the church has their reasons for doing things and everyone just kind of followed along with what they were told to do. But we were given this beautiful home that was already finished uh, in the inside. On the outside, uh, father was very he, he, he wanted his things to look very nice. So we finished we continued to finish the outside of the home when we moved in. The caves were really interesting to us. And I go into actually a little more detail in one of these videos that will follow this particular interview, I went into the caves with uh, one of the leaders from the FLDS just recently. This was always a big concern for government because of the fear of explosives and weapons being stockpiled there. And frankly, they were believable since I had also found those same kinds of things in my investigation of the Zion Society where we recovered caches of semi-automatic assault rifles that were hidden in walls and in floors and in other areas of the homes. This was all part of this doomsday mentality and mindset of groups like the Zion Society and the FLDS. Yes, and, and it's kind of funny you say that, that, that it was true that they had these weapons and things in there because uh, it was when we walked by these caves and saw that they were all locked up and they looked kind of mysterious, I actually told some of my younger siblings that there were uh, guns and, and bad people in there just to scare them, you know, and uh, just because they look very mysterious. And, but I, I never went in. I never knew for sure what was in those caves. As I sit and watch your response, it brings validity to that comment that only a small percentage uh, ever saw the inside of those caves Folks, I'm talking with Sam and Melissa Zitting-Weising about Sam's time as a child growing up in the FLDS community. His dad was the mayor of that community, and he was also the patriarch to the FLDS church. Sam and his 34 brothers and sisters had four mothers that they reported up through. But before we go on any further, I want to pause for a moment and remind you that if you're interested in learning more about cult behaviors and cult dynamics, go out and pick up my book, Deceived, an investigative memoir of the Zion Society cult. Deceived chronicles my investigation and ultimate takedown of a religious cult that committed more than 4,000 assaults against adult women and children before we arrested and convicted 12 kingpins. You know, I believe the real story in Deceived is about the 32 child survivors 
who rose above the abuse that they were put through, and they built productive lives. The book explores cult recruiting tactics and how seemingly intelligent people can be convinced to commit crimes. You can get signed, hardbound copies of Deceived at ProfilingEvil.com or in paperback and ebook versions on Amazon. Now, let's return to our discussion with Sam and Melissa Zitting Weissen. So, Sam, I'd like you to kind of take us through your relationship with Warren Jeffs, the prophet of the FLDS, how often you saw him, the kinds of things you did for him on a day-to-day basis, and how you then revered him as a prophet. Well, I knew him, uh, I, I guess you could say, on a personal level. I had, I've been in his home several times when he lived there. I uh, helped do the landscaping in his yard. I helped build the block wall around his compound there in in Hilldale. So I guess I, I don't, to be honest, I had no idea what was going on behind closed doors, as I'm sure most people living out there would say the same thing. I thought he was a man of God. I thought he was the prophet of God and that he was doing only what God wanted him to do. That was my assumption when I knew him. And because of the way I was raised and what I was told about these Jeffs men, the Ruland Jeffs and Warren Jeffs, every time I went into their home, I assumed that I was feeling this overpoweringly uh, good spirit that was from God. That's what I assumed. And I, I shook their hands several times. My uh, One of my older sisters actually married Ruland Jeffs. I believe she was his 60th wife. So... That's uh, that was another way that we kind of connected with the family. But, we, you know, it wasn't something that I went to lunch with him and, and chatted about our lives or anything like that. But I did know him and I guess spoke with him and shook his hand several times. You know, one of the interesting things I heard right after Warren became the new prophet for the FLDS is that he told all of the men in the organization that his father, Ruland Jeff's wives, were not going to be divvied up to other husbands. Now, it's interesting how revelation often plays out because it was only a short time later until uh, Warren started taking Ruland's wives to be his own. And I'm just amazed that one of those happened to be your sister. Well, yes, I do remember that. And he did marry some of them. And then he married some of them off to other men. And and then even in some cases, they married one man. And then there were that man was kicked out of the community for who knows what. And then they were married to another man. And then he was kicked out. And then another one. So sadly, they were passed around. Like pieces lot. of property. Honestly, yeah. it's really heartbreaking. But that's basically what it was. And even his sister. I mean, Rulin was in his 80s and she was in her teens. Yeah. Yeah. Is is she still involved in the community? Yes. I haven't had any contact with her for probably about 15 years at this point, but uh, yes, she's still, as far as I know, she's still following and a part of the community. You know, another tragic story is that my understanding is that often when people leave the FLDS, in fact, not often, Whenever anyone leaves the FLDS, they are then cut off from all of their loved ones and never will have contact with them again. Can you give us an So it's very true. If you choose to leave your family, if you choose to leave the FLDS religion, the community, you are not allowed to go back. 
And that's just that's just the way it is. They they would tell us that they wouldn't want our bad influences to come back and rub off on the other children and and convince them to move out as well. Uh, obviously, they were afraid that if we moved out and said, oh, this actually isn't bad. This isn't what we told it. We were we were told this was going to be a horrible life. It's not. They were probably afraid that we would go back and say that to our brothers and sisters. And then they would say, oh, really? OK, well, I'll come out, too. But we were, I guess you could say shunned. I know it's a hard word, a harsh word. But but yeah, we were shunned. If we moved out, we weren't allowed to go back and mingle with the family. Sam, I think one question on everyone's mind is whether you have been able to maintain any kind of relationship with your mother and mothers, your father and your siblings. Everything that I understand points to the fact that once you leave, you are considered dead in the eyes of the members of the cult. So the answer is no. Uh, if for, for those of, for those of my family that still follow Warren Jeffs, I have no contact. I am not allowed to communicate with them. And I have heard of other people going out and knocking on the door and inviting themselves into the house and trying to have this relationship. But I have not done that just because I know how they feel. And I don't want to make the, the very, I guess I don't want to make my memory with them worse than it already is. So I have not had any contact. And on that note, yeah, I haven't had the opportunity to meet his mother or any of the mothers, um, and our children haven't been able to either. And to you, Melissa, have you been able to have any kind of relationship with the people that would be your in-laws? It's interesting because women are generally nurturers and people trying to build a community around them. Melissa, how impactful has this been for you? Yeah, I think, I mean, it was always a little bit hard for me to understand how a mother could, you know, disown or shun their child. And then after we had children, I think it's a little bit harder for my heart to understand. My head understands it. I understand um, their convictions for their for their religion and that what the prophet says, you know, I know that she is just as faithful to what she believes to be true as possible. So I respect that on the level that I truly feel like she's just doing what she feels is right, but I can't understand at all how now that I have children, how a mother could be okay with any man. I don't care who they are, the prophet, who it is. Tell me that I can't speak or talk to my child or that I'm supposed to get rid of pictures of my children who have, you know, things like that. I'll, I'll never be able to understand that in my heart, no matter how much I understand the difficulty of the situation. Right. Sam, you've now had the benefit of living in two different lives for almost the same amount of time. How do you reconcile the two? You know, it's, 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 it's kind of a, it goes both ways. I understand where they're coming from. I was also a part of that. And in their minds, it is, you know, this life is just a very, very short period of all eternities, they would say. And so all we just have to prove ourselves worthy. We have to be obedient. We have to keep sweet. We have to follow the teachings of the of Warren Jeffs and the prophets before him and and just do what they tell us to do, because they say after this life is when we receive all of our blessings. So for all of them, they're just looking forward to the next life. They're putting up with what they have to put up with and looking forward to the next life. And uh, when I first moved out, I had my mother reach out to me several times. 
before ties were completely cut and just begging me to come back. And because in her mind, she, she believes that if I don't repent and fully believe again and, and go back and follow those teachings, that in the next life, we will not be able to be together. And uh, that's what she's kind of looking forward to is what comes after this life. So I understand where they're coming from because I know what they believe. I know how they feel. But at the same time, I, I, I can't say that I haven't wept in my pillow many a night wishing that I could give my mother a hug or, or see some of my siblings that I haven't seen for some of them over 15 years. So it's, it's How did you two meet and what did your parents say when you told them that you'd fallen for a, for a boy from the FLDS? Um, you know, it's one of those things. I feel like Sam had gone through a lot of transformation between the time that we first yeah. met and the time that we started dating. Just a quick backstory. Um, uh, a mutual friend, he left when he was 18. A mutual friend brought him to my 18th birthday party. We met and we went on two lunch dates. And we didn't speak again for five years. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when he had first left. Lunch was that bad. <laughs> no, no, no. We were just in two different places. I mean, he had recently left. And there were so many things that we just didn't see eye to eye on. And we're different places in our lives. And five years later, um, he had had so many transformative experiences. And I had grown a lot. You know, you grow a lot between 18 and 23 and um, coming back together. But I feel like he had done a lot of work on who he wanted to be. And um, before we even met, so I feel like, I don't know if I can take much credit on like help. I feel like he had done most of the work um, even before we got married. And I know earlier when we were talking about the fact that um, just, you know, I feel like when people have tough childhoods or things like this happen, they have two choices, right? They can repeat the cycle or they can look at it and say, that's exactly what I don't want. And he was very clear and upfront in our dating that not only did he not want that religion, but even the type of father, he is a super involved, super amazing father with close relationships with his children, things that he didn't have opportunities to, you know, super loving hugs, all the affection because he wasn't able to have that, you know, so many things like that, that we talked about beforehand that now creating our own family we just talk a lot about, um, about everything, but you know, the, the place he came from, there was also really good traits. He's the hardest worker that I've ever met, <laughs> you know, and, and hard work and dedication to things that are important to him and to his family and things. Um, so I don't know. I feel like we grew together from our very different past, but we've really been able to bring it into a family and a relationship that we're super proud of. Hey, Sam, can you take us back to the day that federal law enforcement officers tried to arrest Warren Jeffs at the big church? Walk us through what was going on that day. But yes, so during that time, we knew that, or we were told, that law enforcement was coming after us hard. Uh, Obviously, we believed they were coming after us because of our beliefs, our religion, and we were told that they were trying to destroy the kingdom of God on earth. They were trying to destroy what he had built through his prophet. So we obviously thought that the law enforcement were the bad guys coming to try to destroy the good guys. And, and so that's kind of our mentality. And that, so we, re, I remember as a very young boy at this time, just sitting there at a, at a general meeting congregation, the meeting house was packed full of people. The leaders were sitting up on the stands 
And if I remember correctly, we were saying a prayer. Uh, I believe it was the, the opening prayer of the meeting. And suddenly I hear from out of the left side of the of the building uh, some commotion going on at the door. Later on, I, I come, come to find out it was the security guards of the church trying to hold the law enforcement back. Uh, but I heard some commotion going on. And and when I opened my eyes to see what was going on, all of the leaders that were sitting upon the church uh, up, up on the stand were gone. All the leaders were all of a sudden gone. And I opened my eyes and I thought, what was going on? And I guess some people, some law enforcement stormed into the building to go get them. But uh, so the, the story goes that by the time the law enforcement got there to where the leaders were sitting, they were already escaped out the back door and long on their way. So very, very well remember it. To me, I was scared out of my mind. I thought, oh, no, if people are coming. They're going to they're going to destroy our community. They're going to destroy our family. So as a young boy or young teenager, I was just frightened, I guess, is all I could say about that. Had there Sam, the entire area, Short Creek, had a history with law enforcement in 1953 when the raid at Short Creek occurred. And I'm sure that that was taught to you as children. But how did that history impact the way you looked at things that were happening then? Oh, yes. My father was a young boy during that time, so he had stories. And he, he kind of could tell us a little bit about how that was. And, and that was my biggest fear as a young boy is to be separated from my family. And so that was definitely something I thought a lot about, you know, and that would be something that they would use to kind of help us stay in line. Leaders of the church, of the FLDS church would say, hey, if we're not obeying exactly what, what God wants us to do, then, then we might be, you know, we might see another raid or he might allow that to happen to us again and things like that. So they would use a lot of scare tactics that would keep us in line. And so, yes, I thought about that a lot. I found it interesting over the course of my career as I look at investigations like this and events like this, especially where you have people who proclaim to be prophets of their God, that when they do escape, it's because God wanted them to and that God was supporting the works. On the flip side, when they are captured, it's because the members of the congregation weren't faithful enough. What are your thoughts on that? It definitely was happening. Uh, and it was something that I, in my mind, I didn't think they would ever be able to catch him because I assumed that God would protect him forever. And, you know, and uh, so it was something that I just, I just kind of laughed. I said, huh, they'll never catch him. <laughs> and then if they ever would, then of course it was because the people weren't righteous enough. So they always have yeah. that stick on either side, right? So if things go their way, it's always God protecting them, God preserving them. You know, and if anything goes wrong, it's always because the people aren't righteous enough. So they're able to beat them with whatever stick yep. is, works at the time. Yeah. Well, hey, folks, I'm talking to Sam and Melissa Zitting Weissen. Sam grew up in the FLDS and left at age 18. He's now built a life with Melissa, but he's never been able to talk to his parents or his siblings since then because they remain faithful to Warren Jeffs. Now we're talking about when Warren was now arrested in Las Vegas and what your thoughts were at that time, Sam. So at that time, it was definitely partially our fault, as we were told, because we weren't living up to what we were supposed to be doing. And so he was captured. Uh, but then that turned into lots of, 
prayers and fasting and uh, try, you know, to, to for God to set him free. Uh, we were told time and time again that that the prison walls were going to break down and he was going to walk out in his glory and uh, that God would protect him and he would come back to his people and lead them. And to this day, some of Warren's followers will still say that, 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 that he's going to he's going to break out or God's going to break down the prison walls and he's going to come out and come back and lead his people. So it's uh, it was uh, personally, though, that's kind of what was going on in the community. But personally, I was in complete shock and it made me question my beliefs a little bit at that time, because I assumed that he would never be able to be captured because God would protect him. So it was kind of a slap in the face, to be honest, when that did happen. So I'd like you to talk about your beliefs and your faith, but do it in two buckets. First, talk about how you felt and believed as a boy and how you feel today and how those beliefs and emotions. have. Yeah, so it's interesting. It's kind of a long story. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when, when I moved out of when I moved away from the FLDS community, it was not because I didn't believe in the teachings of Warren Jeffs and the prophets before him. It was because I had, I felt that I was not, I was not, uh, I guess, given the whole truth in the sense that I was told that people outside of the community were not happy. They were miserable because they were, they were on Satan's ground as they would say, and that they weren't really, truly happy because they didn't have the truth and they didn't have, uh, I guess, God in their hearts. So when I would go out on these construction sites, I worked with, with my brothers in construction for quite some years, and I would meet other people outside of the community. And as I got a little bit older, I started to realize, you know what? <laughs> Some of these families are really good, happy people. What's going on here? These are, they're supposed to be miserable. Why are they happy? Stop being happy. So uh, that's something that that kind of I started thinking about. And when I turned 18, it was actually the very month that I turned 18. Uh, we were out on a job site, me and some of my brothers. And my brother, one of my brothers and I and one of our friends just decided not to go back one night. And it's a very long story on why and all of that. But short story or long story short, the uh, one of the families that we were doing a job for was one of the biggest examples of a happy, good family. And it really stood out to me. And they just took us in and treated us very well. And when we decided to move out, that family is actually the family that took us in and said, you know what, we got you. We'll take care of you. We'll get you on your feet and help you out. And they are uh, members of the LDS mainstream church. So that's kind of how I was introduced to the church. I didn't go out seeking for the church. I uh, still believed in the in the in the LD sorry in the FLDS at that time, assuming that one day I'd probably still go back because I I believed it was the truth. Mm. Um, but anyway, so it was kind of a it started out with me wanting to learn more and see what the world was all about because I didn't feel like I was given the whole truth about the people outside of my community. And he was the LDS missionary's dream because they didn't have to teach him about Joseph Smith. They didn't have to teach him about church history. He's like, I already know yeah. that. I already have a testimony of that. And so he was their dream candidate. They're like, do you know about the Book of Mormon? He's like, yes, I know it. I believe it. So yep. they were. he was a dream 
it was funny to see their faces when they would ask the questions, you know, the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith. And I was like, yes, yes, I believe in all of this. No problem. In fact, you know, in fact, the, the LDS mainstream church seemed like their rules were so easy. I mean, I was used to much more strict rules and things. So it wasn't wasn't a problem for me. And what, what really came down to it was when they asked if I believed that the, the current uh, president or prophet of the church being President Monson at the time, when they asked if I believed he was the prophet, that's where I really it kind of took me back. And I had to think for a minute because that was something that I had spent my entire life, 18 years of my life, getting up, bearing my testimony in front of my family and other members of the church saying that I knew that Warren Jeffs and that Ruth and Jeffs were the prophets of God. So that was a big transition to then say, oh, no, now I believe someone else is the prophet. So, Sam, I'd like to know what impact Melissa has had on your life and how has your life changed since you left your childhood home? Oh, man. (laughs) Well, thank you for that question, because uh, she has impacted my life in every good way I could have imagined. Uh, when I, when I first met her, you know, I, I didn't really realize how much she was going to affect my life, but she has been someone that I can go to with any, with any, uh, sad thoughts about leaving my family behind. She's someone that's been there to support me and help me in every aspect of my life, uh, whether it's professional career, my college, my, my child home, uh, my childhood experiences. She's just been someone that I can confide in and someone that I just love to sit and talk to because she's she she will always have a good answer for me. She'll always have something to, to help me out no matter what it is. So she's blessed my life in more ways than I can explain. Um, well, I guess if I was talking to anybody out there, I would just say that there can be so much the life is to be enjoyed and that there can be joy in this life and that you know, waiting for a great reward in the next, um, there can be so much joy here as well. And that I just wish that all of the people um, that are under Warren Jeff's control were able to understand that they can feel that joy now. And that I hope that in my heart for them in the future. Well, hey, folks, I want to thank Sam and Melissa for chatting today. You've got to go over to their channel and subscribe. It is great. Growing up in polygamy. Let's make sure we get them some new subscribers. When you go there, you're going to learn more about the FLDS and the lifestyle that Sam was a part of. The link to the channel is down below. So thanks a lot, Sam. And Melissa, thanks for joining. And more importantly, thanks for helping Sam create this newest chapter of his life experience. Thank you all. Thanks. Thank you for having us on here. It's been, it's been great talking with you and and we really appreciate it. Well, there you go, folks. What are your thoughts about today's discussion? Would there be less mysticism surrounding polygamy if there was more transparency into their lifestyle? And is the way they choose to live anybody else's business if crimes aren't being committed? I'm going to be watching for your comments down below. And if you like this episode, Hit the like and subscribe button, share our channel with your personal networks, and remember, you can subscribe to Profiling Evil on your favorite podcast platform. Now, for those of you who are interested in supporting our efforts, consider joining our channel memberships. You can get in for as little as $1.99 a month, and your contribution really does help.
And hey, check out the new Profiling Evil Academy. It's my personal favorite, and it opens the door for learning about the investigative and profiling process. Again, you'll find the uh, links down below. So follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And thanks again for your support. We'll see you all soon at the next crime. Hey folks, it's Mike from Profiling Evil. I've been studying criminal behavior for more than 40 years, and one of my favorite research tools is Truthfinder. It's online, and you're not going to believe the information stored there. So if you want to know more about that new neighbor, your babysitter, or your online date, give Truthfinder a try. I'm including a special link below with special discount pricing, but you got to click the link and enter Evil 10 at checkout. Now, we're an affiliate, which means we get a small commission, but you can cancel at any time.